Essie actually kind of alluded to it as, as, as she was doing announcements that we are almost at Christmas. Almost at Christmas. And so in just a few weeks, on the 27th, we actually start Advent. Advent. In my, in my house, we're going to start calling it um, Santa's Not Real, Jesus Is season. That's what... There's no kids in here, right? Okay. Just... Yeah, sorry. Um, or sorry for some of you adults who are just finding out. Um, but next week, we actually celebrate Christ the King Sunday, kind of as a, as a lead-in to Advent. And as we um, have been talking about that on the staff and getting ready for it and, and preparing songs and, and dances, and um, I'm helping with the songs, not with the dances, so it should be um, relatively good. But I've been thinking about what does it mean <clears throat> to me, and I'm asking you this morning as well, what does it mean to you that Christ is King? Now, I know it's not Christ the King Sunday. Don't worry. We're going to talk about this next week as well. But as I was digging into this, I really kind of felt like I'd like to take just two Sundays, not just one, to really talk about what it means that Christ is King. And at least what it means to me and what I, I feel like God has been just kind of showing me in this time and as we, as we talk about it and as we dig through the Word and, and as we read through the weekly lessons, um, you know, leading up to this, this, Sunday, this next Sunday, Christ the King Sunday. What does it mean that Christ is King? <clears throat> and as I was reading through and praying through and actually preparing for other, um, like, confirmation or youth group and other times that I'm, I've been sharing, over and over again, what I keep being reminded of and what I keep seeing in the Scriptures, one of the things that makes Christ the King different than any other king we might think about is the way that he provides. You know, kings, when we think about them, and especially when kings, when you um, read about it in the Old Testament, and they really were more about how much they could rule, how much they could control, and how much they could dictate things. But when, when you see the life of Jesus, you see that often what he does is he provides over and over and over again. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is found in Matthew 6, where he talks about providing for us talks about we shouldn't worry about what we're going to wear or what we're going to eat or where we're going to live, that he knows we need those things and he's going to provide for us. All through Jesus' walk, that's what he did. He provided. He provided healing for those who came to him. He provided forgiveness for those who came to him. He provided eternal life. Over and over, he was a provider. He provided food when they were hungry. He provided every need that everyone had that came across his path. As I began to read this, um, I was also in the same time I was preparing for confirmation. And in confirmation, we're talking about what it means to be a disciple. And so we're reading through, or, and I'm preparing some stuff out of um, Elijah, out of the Second Kings, first and second Kings, Elijah and Elisha, and began to kind of read through that. And one thing I noticed, and one thing I was reminded of, that one thing Jesus kept saying over and over, is he said, I only do what I see the Father doing. He says this in John chapter 5. He says, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and he shows all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. I was reading through 2 Kings. and we're gonna, If you guys want to flip there, we're going we're gonna to flip there. <clears throat> we're actually going to start in 1 Kings chapter 17. And as I was reading this, this, this scripture from John kept coming to me that Jesus only did what he saw his father doing. 
And so as I was reading this uh, and, and remembering that scripture, I began to realize out of all the times that God provided, even in the Old Testament, just amazing provision that God provided. If you've ever really took some time to read the story of Elijah and then on to Elisha, some of the most weirdest, strangest sources of provision took place in Elijah's life. It was pretty, it's really interesting. Let's take a look. First Kings chapter 17. This is when we're first introduced to Elijah. <clears throat> if you look at verse 2, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward, hide and careth the ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook. That seems pretty normal, right? Pretty normal source of provision. And I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to Kirith the ravine east of the Jordan. He stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. I don't know <clears throat> when you begin to think about provision, if that's on one of your lists of how God's going to provide for you. That those birds that are flying around your house are going to stop in and drop off your daily food. But this is how God provided. Next, Elijah is with the widow and her son. And he has no food and neither does this lady. This widow and her son are about to die. She's literally going to make them the last meal. And he, bold enough, says, no, before you make your last meal because you think you're going to die, go ahead and make me some first. And she does. And her flour never runs out. And her food never runs out. But later on, down in 19, this might be um, my favorite one. If you flip over 1 Kings chapter 19, we'll start in verse 5. It says, all at once, <clears throat> an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some baked bread over hot coals in a jar of water. He ate, and he drank, and then he laid down again. So there's Elijah. He's tired, and he's hungry, and he's sleeping, and he wakes up and rolls over, and there's food there that's been cooked. Not just food that appeared, but there's hot coals that's actually cooking it. And so what does he do? He eats. And then what does he do? He goes back to sleep. He just rolls back over after all this has been provided for him, and he goes to sleep. It says then in verse 7, it says, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank. Strengthened by the food, he traveled for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into the cave and he spent the night. Right in the midst of, of the Old Testament and the kings and, and all these battles, and here's Elijah the prophet who is you know, prophesying that there's going to be no rain and there's this famine coming. And, and God begins to provide for him in the strangest, most miraculous ways. And as I was reading this, to, to, and we're going to talk about this in just a second, to talk about discipleship and kind of reading through this again, I began to ponder my own life and provision in my own life. And I realized that provision in my life sometimes, often, more often than I like to admit, consumes me, consumes my thought. What, how am I going to provide? How am I going to you know, pay the bills? How am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? How am I going to take care of my kids or my wife? Or how, what is the provision in my life and how is it going to come? 
Even on good days, when, when I remind myself that I'm not in charge of my provision, that God is, I then ponder, how in the world is God going to provide? What's it going to look like? And the thing is, when, when we do that, we limit the possibilities of how we think God can provide. Because our minds can't fathom side of our own experiences or what we've seen. These, these accounts of what God did and his provision, we know are true. But I still can't fathom them, even though I know this, the word is true. I still can't fathom a bird coming down and giving me food. I can't fathom manna showing up on the ground. I can't fathom rolling over and there being bread and food just cooking right next to me. I can't fathom a woman who is willing to give up her last for me so that I can eat. And that being God's provision. What I realized in, in this, as I was pondering and talking about Christ the King and Him as the provider, there's one key, and I don't know if you caught it in here. We're going to check it out again. The one way we get to this understanding in this place of provision is that we have to let go of how we think it's going to happen. We have to let go of, of trying to make our own provision happen. We have to let go of this idea that this is the way God works, and this is how it's going to happen, and this is what it's going to be. And the only way we do that is by sheer obedience, sheer abandonment. When we go back to 17, it says, The word of the Lord came to Elijah. He says, Leave here, turn eastward, hide in the Kurath Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and you have directed the ravens to supply you with the food. So he did what the Lord told him to do. I realize this is part of our problem with the provision is that we want to know, we want to be in control, we want to, to have it all and understand it all and understand where it's going to come from and when it's going to come from and how it's going to come. We want all of that. But what we're really called to do is be obedient. And the more that we're obedient, the more the, the provision of the Lord begins to come into our life because we are letting go of that and trusting Him as Christ the King, trusting God to provide all of our needs. When you read throughout the, the New Testament, you see it over and over again where, where provision took place. There was a release. All of the disciples were called to come and to follow. Levi says, he says they called Levi and he says he left everything. He left everything and he followed the Lord. Every single disciple that that happened, he left everything to follow. He says, you are now fishers, but I'm going to make you fishers of men. What they actually left was part of their provision, right? That fish was part of their income. That fish was part of their food. That fish was providing for their family. They gave that all up to follow the Lord and decided, I'm going to let the Lord provide for me. I believe this is what Elijah did. He lived in the presence of the Lord. He was obedient to speak when he was told to speak, even if it wasn't good things. He was obedient to do the things God called him to do. And it's interesting, at, at near the end, um, this is a real popular and famous uh, account here in Elijah. It's in 19, 1 Kings chapter 19. It says, And the word of the Lord came to him. He said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous 
for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected, rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put the prophets to death with sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. You know, it's not like Elijah's life was easy. It's not like everything was simple, and every time he spoke a word, everybody's like, oh, that's a good word. Thanks for that. No, no, they were coming after him to kill him. It says, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind, and here's the part most of us know, tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before him. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, and he went down and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then the voice said to him, what are you doing here? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord. God Almighty, the Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars, and they've put prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. See, Elijah says here he was zealous for the Lord. He was in full and total abandonment to God. And as he did that, and as he obeyed, God provided. God moved on his behalf. One of the things that Elijah says, I'm the last one. I'm the last one, he says. And right after that, God comes to him and says, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint, oh, here we go, all these names, right? Hazel, the king of Aram. Also anoint Jeshua, son of Nimshi. That's not too bad, huh? King over Israel. And anoint Elijah, the son of Shapeth from, a- from Abel, to succeed as your prophet. See, God began to provide a succession plan for what Elijah had been doing his whole life. And here is where the rubber meets the road for us. And here's where the, one of the best examples that I can fathom of what God calls us to do and what Christ the King calls every single one of us to do is a total abandonment of everything we have and everything we are and even all the provision in our life to just be obedient to Him. And this is what I really want to start talking about next week is, are we willing to do this to follow Christ the King? It says, so Elijah went, this is verse 19, it says, so Elijah went from there, he found Elisha. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him, and he threw his cloak around him. Elijah then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and my mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elijah left him, went back. He took his yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment and took, and cooked, to cook the meat and he gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elisha and become his servant. You know, Elisha heard the call of the Lord through Elijah. Elijah came and he placed his cloak just as the Lord had told him to do. And Elisha's response, if you take a minute to look through, was quite amazing. It says, he left him, he went back, he took his yoke of oxen, there was 12, he slaughtered them all. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and the ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah and become his servant. He burned every single provision he had. 
He burned his plowing equipment so he could cook all of his oxen that used to provide him with provision. The plowing equipment and the ox provided him with his daily food, with his daily money, with his da- for his family. And what did he do? He burned it all, cooked food for his family, and then said, I'm going to follow Elijah. He heard the call of God on his life, and he abandoned everything. Not worrying about the provision, not worrying about what's going to happen next, not worrying about the next step, but just being obedient. And as I was reading this and, and, and thinking about what it means to be a disciple, what it means to let Christ be king of my life, I read this and, and I I began to just ponder, and my, my heart actually began to break a little bit as I, as I thought about my life. Am I at that place where I'm willing to abandon every single thing just to be with the Lord? Just to be obedient to Him. Knowing that if, if I will just be obedient, everything else in my life is taken care of. Everything else in my life will be taken care of. If my main focus and my main priority and everything is centered around my relationship with Christ the King, that Him being that King of my life will provide for every need that I have. We see it here in Elisha. Later on in in their relationship, right before Elijah was about to be taken up, Elijah told him a couple times, stay here. Stay here. And he said, no, I won't leave you. No, I won't leave you. He made the choice. I'm going to follow no matter what the cost. We see it all the time in the New Testament with the disciples. I'm going to follow you no matter what the cost. As you read through Acts, you see the disciples saying, I'm going to follow Jesus no matter what anybody else thinks around me. And that's going to be my main focus. It's going to be my main priority. And every time I am counting on God to be my provider, not myself. So the question is, Christ is king. He is king no matter what we think or what we believe. But my question for you and for me is, is he king in your life? Because he can be king overall and not be king in your life. And I want to challenge you that there are all kinds of things in our life that we're holding on to that are good. Nothing wrong with 12 ox and plowing equipment. Nothing wrong with being a fisherman and having some boats. But are we willing to give up all that? To trust God for all of our provision? To understand that he can provide in any way he deems necessary by throwing birds down your chimney to bring you food. Did you get that Christmas reference? (laughs) Or to bring you food or to bring you money out of the most bizarre places that could ever happen. To see your family provided just because we are obedient people. So as we lead into next week, Christ the King Sunday, and we begin to really talk about what it means as Christ the King, I want to ask you to prepare your hearts and to begin to like plow through your life and comb through your life. And what are those areas in your life that you're really not allowing Christ to be King, but you are King? Good, bad, or ugly? Where are the parts in our life that we are controlling and we are trying to dictate everything in our life and we're not releasing control to the King of Kings? Because what he has in store for us is so much better than anything else that we could ever have in store for ourselves. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are king. That you came and you saved us. You came and you died for us. You came to heal us, to forgive us, 
to provide for all of our needs. Lord, I pray that as we take this week, that we would be willing to put all those things aside in our life, to let you rule and reign, to let you be our provider, that we would just build our relationship with you, that we would just be obedient with you, that we'd be like Elijah, and we would be willing to put everything aside to follow you, that we'd be like to put everything aside to follow the King of Kings. I pray for boldness and courage to take those steps, Lord, to not be afraid of what those outcomes might be, but to trust in you, our King, our provider, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.